Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Happy Mother's Day to you mamas, mamas and grandmoms and future moms and spiritual moms, and we appreciate all you do. Uh, We wouldn't be here without you, literally. So uh, I I did want to mention this in light of Mother's Day, you know, we do a book of month, uh, book of the month, and uh, Chris Valentin came out with a book sometime back, Fashion to Rain, uh, Empowering Women to Fulfill Their Divine Destiny. It's really a great book, and uh, you know, it's interesting that the Pentecostal charismatic movement has been a champion of women in ministry. It really has, has been a champion of equal rights for women, and uh, it's the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement that has made room for women preachers, and there's a reason for that. There's, a, there's such a thing as a spirit-filled hermeneutic, and so, uh, but Chris really gets into that, deals with some of the, quote, problem passages that are often used to silence women in the church, and so this is a great book to, to read in that regard. I want to encourage you. We have those in the bookstore, and uh, if we don't have enough for all of you, you can order one, and I would highly recommend that you do that. Uh, there is, uh, you know, with all that is going on in our nation right now, you know, with uh, the Roe v. Wade uh, controversy in the Supreme Court and all of that, uh, it's just highlighted once again uh, the, the battle for woman. We see this, you know, the, the, the erasing of the distinction between the gender roles and all of that. At the end of the day, it's women who are the loser in that battle. And it's been the church that has been the liberator of women all down through history. Contrary to what you're often told, that the, the, the church is the persecutor of women, if you look at history, women in most cultures were treated little better than belongings, a little better than cattle and, and other livestock until Christianity came on the scene. And Jesus himself was the revolutionary and had many women in his ministry team. And he distinctly chose to reveal himself first after his resurrection to some women. And if you understand that women's testimony weren't even accepted in a court of law during that day and age, but yet Jesus revealed himself first to women. Jesus is the liberator of women. If you look across the world, wherever Christianity has gone, women take on, they, they're, they're elevated in their role in society. And when we try to cut ourselves loose from biblical values, things go backwards. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves is how in the world can the women's liberation movement that fought for things like, uh, you know, no-fault divorce, uh, on-demand abortion, uh, you know, even uh, the, the, the introduction of birth control was looked at as a, a, a liberator of women in that regard and introduced these other things. Now, I'm not against birth control, but... What it did is it opened the door to unbridled promiscuity and then we wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of that. And as we've seen our society embrace that, we've now come full circle and women are losing their place. The irony is, you know, I know you've all seen the memes on Facebook. You know, they're, they're talking about uh, women's rights to abortion and then everybody's saying, isn't it ironic that we're talking about women's rights and then say that we can't even define what a woman is? That our most recent uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, nominee, 
said, well, I'm not a biologist. I can't define what a woman is. And that thing has come full circle. And it's because we've cut ourselves loose from the Bible's definition. And I'm telling you, the Bible is the liberator of both men and women. And wherever the Bible goes and it's applied in the right way, women are made equal with men. And that is God's intention. So let's get into the word this morning. Let's look at, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna look at the cliff notes of creation. You know what cliff notes are? For those of you that were like me in school, you didn't wanna read the whole book, so you just read the short version, get the highlights. Or maybe you were like me, if you had to do a test on a book, you'd go watch the movie and find out that Hollywood had a different interpretation, you'd get the test wrong. Not recommending that. Uh, that's that I paid for that. So Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Let's look at that. Genesis one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in the likeness, in our likeness, so that they may be able to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He, or in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so we see when God created humanity, the first, the first step of creation was he created one version. And it was a him, but it was a him that actually possessed both the he and the she, the him and the, the her. It was all of humanity were locked up in one being. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so what he did is he took the, the feminine out of the masculine, he took the one and made it into two. And he divided the man and the woman from each other. And he made very clear differences between the male and female. Now, it, it, it's shocking to me that after over 30 years of preaching the word of God, that we actually have to talk about how God made a distinction between man and woman. And that distinction is deeper than physical difference. You see, if we who believe in a creator, then creation, something being created, implies that there's intentionality, that God had a reason for what he did. When you sever yourself from creation, when we're a biological accident, we don't have to assign meaning to anything because it's just an accident anyway. But when you have a Christian worldview, when you believe that there was a creator God behind it that designed everything with the reason, then we can study creation to come to some very strong conclusions, some solid conclusions. Matter of fact, it's Christianity that is actually the mother of science because Christians believe that there was a designer and therefore a design and you could study creation and come to the conclusions. You could study it and there's logic to creation. And so contrary to what we're told that, you know, there's faith and science and they're opposed to each other, that's not true. Especially many of the great founders of modern science like Isaac Newton were believers and very strong believers at that. And so what I'm saying is this, that when God created humanity, he did everything with the reason. God is a God of order and God's very intentional in what he does. And so when God divided 
female out of man, there are reasons he did it. And if we look at what he did, we can come to some very strong conclusions. We can come to some very solid conclusions. When you study the makeup of man and woman, it will give us an indication of the purpose of man and woman. Even our physical nature is a lesson from God. As Pentecostals, as Charismatics, as a prophetic church, often we will look at things that happen and we will read things into those happenings because we believe that God is orchestrating events. God is orchestrating things. And so we will look at things that happen and we'll say, oh, God is saying this. And we need to, that, that's a valid way to look at life. And we need to take that same lens and look at the makeup of man and woman. Because God is saying something even through our physical nature. Male and female are expressions of God's nature. We read it just here. It says, in the beginning, God, or, you know, God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created him. But then he took it a step further, male and female, he created them. And he extracted the feminine out of man and divided the masculine and the feminine. And it always intrigues me. God took the one, made him into two, presented it back to Adam, and Adam looked at her and he was attracted to her and God said, now the man shall leave his father and mother, be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one. So he took the one, made him into two, so that the two could go back to becoming one. What's the deal with that? And God complicated it because he gave her her own mind, will and emotions, her own desires, her own goals, her own thoughts, and every husband said, amen. <laughs> and when Adam saw her, he's thinking, this is a great idea. But after the first argument, he's thinking, God, if you wanted us one, you could have left me like I was before. The only conclusion I can come to when you look at that passage is that God's goal was oneness through mutual submission, oneness through sacrifice, oneness through selflessness, that we lay our life down for our spouse and in so doing become one. And so God took the woman out and presented it back. And we see the primary analogy of God is masculine in scripture. Not because God is a man, he's not. We are made in his image. But we also do see some uh, metaphors in scripture of God even taking on that feminine role. He's, uh, Jesus says to Jerusalem, my, uh, you know, Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would to bring you unto myself as a mother hen would her chicks and to hide you under my wing, but you would not. The fact is, God is only presented when you have man and woman together. The fullness of God. There are elements of the nature of God we lose when woman is diminished. And the same is true with men. And so the image of God, God created it in him and then took out a portion of him and presented it back to him. And so we, the only conclusion we can come to is that God's image is found in both male and female. And we need to understand that. And when we get away from the scriptures and the purpose of man and woman, the distinctiveness of man and woman, when we get away from the purpose of marriage and the union of man and woman, then somebody is going to come out on the shorter end of the stick. And we're going to lose 
a revelation of who God really is. And so this whole thing of creation, when God made man and woman, it's very clear, in the image of God he made him, male and female he made them. They're both in the image of God. It is a picture of who God is. And we lose something of God when we don't hold to that. Now, in this day and age, uh, and there has been, all down through history, there has been a need for a true women's liberation movement. Because sin ends up uh, persecuting the weak. And scripture is very clear. The woman is the weaker vessel. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. And when it says that the woman is the weaker vessel, it's not talking about intellectual weakness. It's talking about physical weakness, and we know that to be the case. By and large, that women are weaker physically than men. Now, if you've ever seen a husband that's had a cold and a woman's had a cold, you might question that, okay? I read the other day, it said, the, the reason that God assigned childbirth to women is so that they would know what it's like when a man has a cold, okay? So there's, there's, you know, we may be physically stronger, but let's admit it. Man, when I got COVID, man, I was sick. I couldn't, I couldn't hardly get out of bed for days. My wife, when she got COVID, she just kept doing everything around the house. I was gone. She got sick when I was on a ministry trip, and uh, she kept the house running. I don't know how she did it, and she's the weaker vessel. So we know that that weakness is not across the board. Any married couple knows that. But it's talking, and there's reason to believe from that passage. I, I, I don't have time to get, you know, break down that entire passage, but the implication is it's a physical weakness that the woman has. Okay, my mind's going a couple different ways. Now, there are, there are exceptions. Ronda Rousey, anybody know who she is? That girl could still kick my hiney, okay? You know? even though she lost the title to a preacher's daughter. Those, those are some bad chicks, man. And, uh, but by and large, uh, the, you know, w women are physically weaker than men. But in Scripture, when you begin to talk about this subject of strength and weakness, it pulls us into the orbit of spirituality and growth as, uh, you know, spiritual growth. What do I mean by that? Romans 15, chapter, one, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, we who are spiritual should bear the failings of the weak. What Paul is saying is, if you're really strong, if you're really spiritual, if you're really mature, the measure of your strength, your maturity, your spirituality is measured by how much of the failings of the week you can put up with. It's not the guy who can climb the mountain alone. It's the guy who can climb the mountain with someone else on his back. Can you put up with the struggles of someone else and still retain your spirituality? The measure of your spiritual strength is can you be strong when others are being weak? Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So in spiritually speaking, the place of our weakness is the place where God can shine. When I first got saved, I've, I've 
talked about this many times, but I was a homeless alcoholic. I was a very broken young man. I went into Teen Challenge, and while I was there, there was a, a man of God that was on staff, and he told me, he said, Dave, I feel like the Lord wants to give you a revelation. He said, the Lord told me to tell you to go and ask him what 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says when it says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So I did. I went and asked the Lord and I, I was praying and said, God, what does this mean? And I was so excited because the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I knew this was God. It was one of the first things the Lord ever showed me. And he showed me a, a picture in, the, in my imagination of two glasses. One was a glass that was almost full. There was just very little room for anything else. It was full of water. And then he showed me another glass and there was very little water in it. And, it, you know, just, just a little drop in there. And then the Lord told me, you're the second glass. I wasn't very excited about that. He said, you're the second glass. He said, you're weak. But because of your weakness, there's a lot of room for me to be poured into your cup. There's a lot of room for my strength to be made manifest. If I could do it on my own, there was very little need for God. Man, I had to get it, I had to pray through just to go out and be in public during those days. And so we have this idea of weakness and strength in Scripture, but it's not the way we usually think of it from a human perspective. In actuality, weakness is an opportunity to step into God's strength. And in the union between a man and woman, and it's not just relegated to marriage, it's not just isolated to that relationship, there is a thing about the, the weaker vessel, a woman being physically weaker, that a man becomes his greatest when he steps in and to that role and protects and lives selflessly for a woman. When he exercises his strength to protect her weakness. And when a man uses his strength to take advantage of a woman's weakness, he is less a man than he's ever been. The greatest way to become a man is to live for others. And the greatest way to do that is to get married and have some kids and be a good dad and a good husband. I'm serious. It is God's discipleship plan. The greatest discipleship plan God ever concocted was to two, put two people together that have their own opinions and say, become one. You know, become one. And if you're going to do this right, believe me, you will grow. You will become more mature. I've talked about this book a number of times, but it bears repeating. I've got a book in my office by a guy named George Gilder. George Gilder was a sociologist and a speechwriter and an all-around brilliant dude. And uh, he used to write speeches for Ronald Reagan. And one of his books was called Naked Nomads. The subtitle was The Single Man in America. Now, it'll give you an idea of when he wrote this because his examples were Joe Namath and Mick Jagger. Okay? <laughs> so it's a little bit of an old book. But there is eternal truth he brings out in this book. And he talks about how single men occupy the highest place in every negative statistic you can name. Mental institutionalization, incarceration, unemployment, uh, you know, all these, all these negative statistics. And then he comes to this conclusion, being a speechwriter, I love his language. He just says it so concisely and so eloquently. He said, now I forgot what he said. <laughs> he said, oh, this is what he said. He said that 
A man needs the imposition of a woman and children upon him to harness his energies. And I intuitively know that is true. There's a reason that married men tend to make more, get paid better than single men. And it's not because their boss says, oh, you got married, I'm gonna give you a raise. It's because he will begin to produce more because all of a sudden he's harnessed. Now, for those of you that are yet single and those who will remain single, there is a gift called celibacy. It's the one that very few pray for. It's, there's a couple of gifts in the New Testament, celibacy and martyrdom. There's not a lot of people asking for the exercise of that grace in their life. But they are graces, okay? And there are some people that God will give the grace. The Apostle Paul, uh, there's, there's a debate whether he was married or he was single. We don't hear any uh, talk about his wife in the New Testament. And there's, there's reasons why it's debated. But the fact is, here was a guy that many people think was single and produced a lot. But there was a grace on him for that. But by and large, most men need to be married. I told my little brother, Christopher, he worked for me at Teen Challenge. And uh, we worked together for a number of years. He was a great staff member. But one day I told him, I said, Christopher, you need to quit your job and go find a wife. Because you have gone as far in life as you ever will without a woman. Because it was a wife that was going to pull that out of him. And he ended up with the, if there was one person you could have designed for my little brother Christopher, it was Beth Goth. She is a great wife for him. She is perfect fit for him. Everything he needed. And he would never, he would not be doing what he's doing had she not come along his side. What I'm saying is this, the wife is the weaker vessel. But men, we are weak without them because we need them to harness our energies. And our greatest strength is when we lend our strength to their weakness and fill that in. And that attacks the roots of the fall in us. I was just talking to a young, or a, a couple that, that are getting married and I was going, matter of fact, I've talked to a couple couples recently about this whole thing. And uh, in short, we we're talking about this, that God designed Men and women differently. I know that's a big revelation, but in this culture it is. They're different. Not only physically, but the physical expression is indicative of what's going on on the inside as well. The anatomy of a man and woman and how it fits together perfectly is indicative of how a woman and man fit together perfectly emotionally. That the man is the initiator and the woman receives him even physically, anatomically, is indicative of our roles. The smallest expression of male and female, the sperm and the egg. The sperm pursues the egg. The egg just sits down in the waiting room looking pretty, you know, waiting. And it's the sperm. They're fighting each other, you know, tripping each other on the way. They're trying to get there. Woo, I won. That is an indication of male and female. It really is. Because this was not an accident. This was not some biological mishap. This was the, uh, the design of a creator God who is all-knowing and brilliant. And so the man is the initiator he pursues. And the woman is the influential responder. And notice I said, ladies and gentlemen, influential responder. 
was telling someone the other day, I, I went to uh, this large church down in Baton Rouge. Jimmy Swaggart Bible College is where Kathy and I met. And the pastor of the church at the time, his wife one time was speaking. It was a church of about 5,000. And I was a single guy. I believe I was already seeing Kathy. And uh, she got up and she was teaching and she said this. My, she was a southern girl. My husband's the head of the church, or the head of the family, but I'm the neck. And I twist him any way I please. Scared the daylights out of me. As a single guy, I thought, is this scriptural? I'm here to tell you. Whether it's scriptural or not, it's reality. <laughs> Ladies, you are the influential responder. And God has given you a sacred trust, an access to your husband's heart that nobody else has. And you can use it wisely or unwisely. You can use it to speak to his spirit and the element of his nature that you talk to will step to the forefront and respond to you. If you speak to his spirit and call him into greatness, you will get his spirit. And if you speak to his flesh, that's what you're gonna tend to get. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook, guys. If your wife is having a bad day, it doesn't give you an excuse to have one. Fact is, we're to be a man of God regardless. I didn't hear any men say amen to that one. I'll tell you, this, this is kind of dicey, you know. The ladies are amen in one thing, and the men, we're gonna have to have, Laura, would you clear my calendar for the next three weeks for marriage counseling? But seriously, ladies, you, you have access to an element of your, your husband's heart that nobody else does. When this woman sitting on the front row believes in me, I can face anything. And if she doesn't, I don't care who else does. It makes it hard. I'm blessed with a wife that has backed me in the call of God in my life. I've known others that haven't had that backing. And so we need to have that awareness of the support role that we have. So we have God making man and woman very different, very distinct. He took something out of man that he didn't leave in him. And he left something in man that he didn't put in the wife. And then he introduced them back to one another and said, now become one. Because he wanted that union, because only in, that union bears the image of God unlike any other relationship in the world. It's an amazing thing. So what I'm saying is, in creation, God made man and women differently, okay? And woman was the answer to a problem. God defined the problem. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. But understand, this was prior to the fall. That, that dilemma, that problem, was not a result of the fall. It was a result of God not being done with creation. And it wasn't that he was saying it's not good for males to be alone because female and male had not yet been separated. It was the human race. It's not good for a human being to be alone and it's not good for the masculine and the feminine to be there. They need to capture that through relationship and through self-sacrifice. So God extracted the feminine out of the masculine, brought it back and said, become one. And again, let me just stress this. Let me hit this one more time. Gentlemen, you will never be a greater man. You will never hit the zenith of your masculinity unless you lay your life down for the vulnerable and especially your wife and children. That is the greatest act of manhood. You will never be a man like you will be in that moment. 
It's not being an MMA fighter or driving your car fast or, you know, shooting a bucket, you know, with your, your bow. I mean, oh, that's fine. That's, that's good. Whatever tickles your fancy. But I'm telling you, where real masculinity shows up is in laying your life down for your wife and children. And for those of you that are not married, you find somewhere else to serve, to take your strength and serve weakness. And that's where that strength really shines. So man, God made man and woman differently. They were different by design. And then the fall happened. And the fall affected men and women differently. So in the New Testament, when redemption is applied to marriage, there's a lot of things the Bible tells us to do as believers. But when you start talking about marriage, it's a fascinating thing. You begin to realize that God told men to do things that he never told the women to do. And he told women to do things he never told the men to do. Do you realize the Bible never tells a wife to love her husband? Never commands, Hus wives love your husband. I know, man. Corporate groan, I can feel it. But the reason is because, well, let me back up. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God is so masculine that all of creation is feminine in response to him. What he meant by that is God is the grand initiator. And that's why we are framed as the bride of Christ in the New Testament. God has initiated this relationship. And all we can do is respond to him in that, that facet of our relationship. There's other metaphors for our relationship with God. But when you talk about the bride, that's what he's talking about. And, and that, that's where this principle shows up in this context. When John says, we love him. Why? Because... He first loved us. He made the initiation. That is a very masculine sentiment. And it's a very feminine thing to respond to love with love. That's why the Bible never says, wives love your husbands. Because if you as a man, it does tell you, men, love your wives and lay your life down for her. And if you will do what you're called to do, it will actually create that reciprocation in her. You don't, God doesn't have to tell her to love her husband. She will naturally do so when she's loved. And so men, as we love our wives, they will love us. What the Bible does tell the wives to do that it doesn't tell the men to do is submit to your husbands and honor him. Now, there is a place where it says, you know, we are to love one another. We are to, there's mutual submission in marriage. That's implied in Ephesians chapter 5. But the marching orders, the overt marching orders is husbands, you love and lay your life down. Wives, you submit and honor. Why? I would propose to you that God made men and women different. Sin affected men and women different. And so when God gave us the marching orders to apply in the New Testament, they were different because he's striking at the root of the fall in our nature. That when he's telling a man to lay his life down and to love her, he's striking at that innate male selfishness that wants to use our strength to serve ourselves. And if we will answer that call, it really will go to the root of that thing and cause us to be great. We will die to that selfishness and become what God intended for us to be all the time. And wives in the same way, if you will submit to your husband and honor him, that submission 
is, is not a trusting of your husband. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, Peter talks about, you know, uh, submit to all those who are in authority. And then he says to kings. Then it talks about slaves and masters. And then it gets into chapter, I want to say it's chapter 4. He says, in the same way, wives, submit to your husbands so that they may be converted without words. It's a theme. And if you look at all of these examples of submission to authority, each one he's talking about submitting to a human figure of authority because of your submission to God. Not because that human authority is a great leader. In fact, what Peter goes on to say is that you can actually cause your husband to be great by trusting God to work through him. And as you honor him, he will tend to live up to that treatment. You're calling the best out in him. Now, let me just pause. I want to say this, that I know that there are exceptions. There are people who are broken and wives have submitted to them and those husbands are broken and abusive. And I'm not saying that it's the wife's fault if the husband doesn't turn around and she didn't submit enough. Any more than I am saying that there are situations where men have been good husbands and loved their wives and laid down their wives, but because of the brokenness in their wives, they never responded in love and they left the union. So there are those exceptions. The problem is we want to always look at the exceptions rather than the rule. And what we need to do is look at the rule of Scripture. And in the heart of woman is a feminine fear that's rooted in the fall. It's the echoes of Eden that still ring in her ears. That's why Peter goes on to say in that same passage, he talks about Sarah who called Abraham her master. I don't require that of my wife. Um, he, I don't know what the deal with that is, okay. But he does. It says, Abraham called her master. And then he says, and you ladies are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. He doesn't say that to men. He says it to women. What is that? Well, if you think about it, it's pretty logical. Matter of fact, if you've ever worked for somebody that was a... Uh, hard to work for, a boss that you felt was unjust and uh, wasn't looking out for your good, you understand what that fear is because you're trying to submit to leadership that is less than best. And so there's this, this concern in your heart. And what, what Peter is saying, that if you will not give way to fear, but will trust God to work through that frail human being, you will literally begin to convert him without words. Here's the beautiful thing about marriage in Scripture. If you have two people that have any desire at all to serve the Lord, if one of them will go after the vast majority of times, it will work because it will have the effect on the other one. In marriage, we can be a catalyst to make our spouses walk with God easier or we can be the biggest hindrance in our spouse's life. We can be a bungee cord on their belt loop. Every time they try to take a run at Jesus, it pulls them back. And it has to do with how we interact with God and with our spouse. And so there's something about this relationship between men and women. Our gender identity, our sexuality, and those things cannot be disconnected. The first thing said about you was, they held you up by the ankles and said, it's a boy or it's a girl. They didn't say, oh, we're going to you know, look, ask a biologist later on. 
I saw a tragic meme the other day. It said this mother was, she was getting an ultrasound and she asked the doctor, is it a boy or is it a girl? And he said, well, I have to let the kindergarten teacher decide. We're living in a culture that's losing its mind. Why? Because we've let ourselves go from a designer. So we think everything is arbitrary and an accident. And therefore, we don't have to assign value to anything. It just happens to do with our feelings. And we need to get back the safety, the place of safety. And in actuality, what I'm saying is this. That a woman's liberation is actually tied to a creator God. And history bears this out. When a society severs itself from God and his laws, ultimately it's women who lose. They begin to be oppressed. And we've come full circle as a society. Now we have women having to make room for men in sports because we've lost the distinction, the definition of male and female. When God pulled the feminine out of the masculine, they were distinct you know the word discrimination? You know what? It, it used to mean this. Oh, he has very discriminating tastes. He can taste the difference in wines. Or he can taste the difference in cheeses. Or they're discriminating. They're able to see the distinctions. It meant finely tuned tastes. Now we talk about discrimination as, oh, they're downgrading another person. They're discriminating against them. When actuality, what that word really means is that we're, we're recognizing the distinctions. And so when we buy into that lie, then what we have to do is we have to erase everything that makes men and women different. And we just try to interact on a human level. I'm telling you, you can never get there because you are either a man or a woman. And your mind works different. You can Google that sometime. The difference between the male and the female mind. And believe me, I've been married 33 years. There's a difference. We see things differently. And we each have an essential perspective that we've got to value. And so this thing of differences, there are things that the male brings to the table, the female doesn't, and vice versa. I mean, you look at some of the stuff going on right now in regards to abortion uh, and the 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 people out there picketing, and uh, I've seen some horrendous things, and it breaks my heart, some of the things I've heard women say, because they're actually rejecting their very nature. And I don't mean to be insensitive to a woman who finds herself with an unplanned pregnancy, whether it was something she got herself into or something that was perpetrated upon her. Man, those are heavy things, and we as believers need to be there to help any way we can. We support a home that if there's, if there's a young gal that's pregnant and she, she wants to keep that baby, we're, we give to a ministry that will house her and walk with her and even give her a home after the baby's born. We have, there's been times where people in this congregation have found a couple that were contemplating abortion and we gave money to help them get an upgrade in their apartment and support them because they were going to lose their job. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. Amen. We're going to help those people. And so I'm not, I'm not talking in just some cavalier way. I'm saying when a woman finds herself in that situation, it's a heavy, heavy thing. But to just disregard her ability to reproduce to divorce yourself from that is a, is the, is a rejection of the deepest kind. 
And women always come out on the short end of the stick of that thing. And so if we're really going to be pro-woman, if we're going to celebrate Mother's Day, we better be pro-woman. And if we're really going to be pro-woman, then we have got to honor the uniqueness of a woman. She is different. It's an amazing, amazing thing that a woman can produce a human body in her, inside of her, and that there's this, this shared life that they have. And when she gives birth, that you know, a child really doesn't discern the difference between itself and its mother initially. It's one life. The blood flowing through her is flowing through it, and there's that shared life. And that baby begins its independent life by the mother making a big push, and all of a sudden, that baby comes out, and they sever that umbilical cord, only to have that baby return to the mother's breast for nourishment. There's this shared life, and there's a weaning process that takes place over a period of time. But that that biological, physical weaning process is a prophetic picture of a larger emotional weaning process. And when a mother understands that, and, and women intuitively do, act, they actually have to divorce themselves and turn off an entire part of their nature and to get away from that reality. And I'm telling you, ladies, that is an amazing thing. There is a mystery to that whole process and how a woman can nurture and produce life. And it's an amazing thing. When little, when little kids fall, you go into all down through history and war as young boys have died in the foxholes. They weren't crying out for their dads. Boys who are at the brink of death and are, are crossing over, they weren't saying, Dad, where are you? It's always, Mom, Mommy, where are you? There's something intuitive in them that's going back to that person that nurtured them. And we don't have that as men. And women, you are at your best. You are what we need when you are walking in that motherhood. And that motherhood is not relegated to simply producing physical babies. There is a whole spiritual category of giftings that you carry that when it comes through, it will raise up the next generation. My early spiritual life was not so much the product of spiritual fathers. I've, had, I've, had, I've been blessed to have several very influential spiritual fathers in my life, some of who are still alive, and I'm still in relationship with them. But I'm telling you, my early spiritual life was a counterpart of my early physical life. The primary influence in my spiritual life was a spiritual mother. And this woman raised me up in the faith. And she has discipled dozens and dozens and touched hundreds. And she spends a lot of her time texting and writing and sending things to people and just speaking life into their, in them. It's a woman by the name of Pat Bowman. And I'm still in touch with her today. That woman laid her life down to get me where I needed to be. And there are times she yanked my chain and kicked my hiney. And, and uh, I thank God for that woman. She was, a, she was a divorced woman. She got pregnant at 16 years old, married the guy, had another kid, and then the guy abandoned her. And so here she was, this young teenage mom with a couple of kids. And she met Jesus. And because of that, situation of such great deprivation she threw herself on Jesus and that woman had a walk with God to this day 
She has such a walk with God. She knows God experientially. It wasn't mere theory. This woman walked with Jesus. And like a mother, she would know. I, I could hear her little vega. She was poor. She had a vega with no you know, vega. You know, remember those guys? There's a reason you don't see a lot of them around anymore. They didn't last. And hers didn't either. It was a rust bucket, and it had several colors, and it didn't have a muffler. But I could hear her coming from afar. And she would pull up, and she would confront me. And there were times she would pull up, roll her window down, and say things to me because she already knew what I was going through. And sometimes it was a rebuke. And I, I am indebted to that woman. I thank God for her. And ladies, what I'm telling you is the very gifting that enables you to be such a good mom and dads can't do it. There are things... Yeah, when my kids, some of my kids, I won't name names, but uh, some of my boys, even up pushing teenagers, they were very independent until they got sick. And they'd say, Mom, could, could, I, could, we, could I sleep in your room tonight? You know, they'd sleep by the foot of the bed. I mean, they're, you know, they're growing up and becoming a man, but they wanted to be near Mama. They never said that to me. They'd say, Dad, could I sleep by you tonight? You know, there's a reason for that. Hey, I felt bad for them, but there's something about a mother. Ladies, I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ needs you. You bring something to the table that we don't have alone. We can only get it through a relationship with you. And if the church doesn't have it, the church limps along. Matter of fact, I would propose to you that this whole thing about the feminization of the church, there's some truth to that. There's, there's a lot of reformed churches that talk about the, the feminization of the church. I would propose to you that if we don't have the feminine at the table, then we'll actually end up with a church that is deficient. We need that element. And there are gifts and callings that women have that men don't have. There's a reason that by and large, intercessors are women. I thank God that this church has a lot of male intercessors, but it's been a long time in coming. For many years, it was always the women in the prayer meetings. Matter of fact, for many years, I would joke and I'd say, ladies, I'm so grateful you allowed me to come to the women's prayer meeting <laughs> because I would sometimes be the only guy there, me and a bunch of ladies but they carried us through some lean times. And it's because of that thing that they can, a woman can receive a seed, a seed of potential that's not yet full grown and able to live on its own. And they will surround that thing and feed that thing and nurture that thing until it grows into independence. And they give birth to those things. And that picture of a woman giving birth to children is a, an indication of what women do spiritually. And so if we're to be a church that really honors the character of God, then we've got to be liberators of women and they need to have a voice. There's a reason, again, I say that the Pentecostal charismatic church has always been a champion of women preachers. They've allowed women to have a say because we recognize by a spirit-filled hermeneutic that they have something that we don't have. And so ladies, we bless you. I'm gonna ask the ladies to stand, okay? And uh, gentlemen, we're, this is Mother's Day, uh, but you don't have to have given birth to begin to function in that God-given role 
that gift of motherhood. And gentlemen, I want you to just extend your hand toward these ladies. We want to bless them this morning. Father, we thank you for the ladies of this house. Lord, I thank you that over the years when things have been lean, it's the women who have filled the prayer meetings. Lord, they were often the ones who broke into spiritual hunger. They were the ones that ran off to meetings and got an impartation and brought it back to us. And we men who often drug our feet before we jumped in, the women were going after it. Lord, we honor them this morning. Lord, we ask for a blessing on these ladies. And Father, we ask that you would make this a house where women are greatly honored. Lord, where they feel the liberty to be who they are. Father, we ask that you would break that religious spirit. God, that thing that says that a woman's place is in the home. Lord, we ask that you would allow them to function in everything they're called to function in. Lord, we thank you for that gift of being a homemaker. But Lord, we bless the more. Lord, that they can function in things beyond that border. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.